Hey guys, welcome to the Dudes and Drinks podcast. Today we'll be talking about Tasha's Cauldron and everything. My name's Anthony and I am joined by... Brad and Larry. And Tyler will be joining us shortly. Tasha's Cauldron. Kind of a big book to come out, especially with all the new shit they're adding. I personally really like some of the Warlock shit, just because that's one of my favorite classes. But um, I think we should just go in order straight down the chapter list and kind of talk about what we want to yeah i think like overall is kind of interesting how they kind of took all the old stuff from unearthed arcana and kind of like formalized it refined it a little bit more uh they kind of did it once before with uh, xanathar's but uh you know I- i'm glad that they're doing it again I-, I do like um some of the new stuff they're added like the ability to change some of your racial attributes not attributes but your um, modifiers you get to your ability scores. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like the way that they talked about that is that they're saying that a lot of that is because of your upbringing and kind of your background. But if you're an elf that wasn't raised in an elven city and it was more in a different environment, it kind of would make sense that you would have a little bit of back, a little bit more of a different background or skills than someone else. So I really like how they made those changes. Sure. Uh, just uh, a small amount that I watched earlier today. I think that's cool. Like, some of it is really cool how they're making, you know, transferring classes or subclasses more fluid. Because, you know, like, as a DM, nobody wants their PCs to be unhappy with their class, right? Um, so I think that's good that they allow change. But I do think some of the the changes may be a little much when they start to kind of interfere with core core rules that have been around since you know 5e came out in what 2014 so yeah i think one of the biggest things is that tasha's shouldn't be new players shouldn't be allowed to use tasha's right off the bat just because it does change a lot of the core mechanics of the game that introducing a new player to the game with all these additional mechanics that aren't um what's the word i'm looking for traditional then it will become kind of more messy i guess so i really think that this is definitely something that's for more um i want to say experienced players but players who have been through one or two characters i I think it's really interesting how it allows for like new like race class combinations uh that otherwise would have been just unfavorable i don't want to say like suboptimal but like kind of suboptimal you know it's like oh everybody wants to play a you know a, a gnome barbarian right but like gnomes just their skill set doesn't you know lead to a good barbarian you know so you would yeah okay like the stats don't really matter um but like they kind of actually do because you know we're still playing D, we're still playing a game there's still going to be skill checks there's still combat you know like by by being a gnome barbarian you're just kind of like gimping yourself a little bit uh so i feel like this kind of alleviates that issue by allowing you to you know switch that around a bit i, I think the only reason i think the only reason somebody would be a gnome barbarian is for the memes though that's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, the, the whole the whole point is them trying to eliminate that trope. Sure. Yeah. Like they 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 they, they don't want people to feel like it's for the memes. Yeah, it's it's like a feasible class yeah. option now. You know, kind, kind of like sure, someone yeah. wanting to do a Goliath rogue. Like normally they're sure. not the best option for it, but with these new kind of changes that they've added, it makes it a bit more viable. The character will yeah, still it... be a bit of a meme just because. That's an unusual com- uh, combination, but it'll make it a viable meme rather than something that hinders the party. Sure, but some of it is kind of silly 
if you look at, say, like a gnome would make an arguably way better rogue because gnomes are going to be more agile than a goliath. And on the other flip, like the flip side of that coin is a gnome, like realistically a gnome strength uh, within the game rules is not going to be high, whereas goliath is going to be like way higher. Well, that, that, that's what they're eliminating. I understand that, but I think there is like a certain like realism that's being erased oh, with yeah, that. Yeah. I do agree with that. Um, which I, I think it's I, it's I good. it's a welcome change in some aspects, but I think sometimes yeah. maybe it's taken a little too far. I, I agree. It, I think it, I think it more relates to the to like an elf versus a tiefling. Sure. Yeah. Like, but but both are equal stature humanoids. Yeah. So they they both they both have roughly the same stats in terms of dark vision and. Uh, you know, just like granted features like that. So why can't? Why is the elf better at being a range than a tiefling? Yeah. Like I think, I think it's like a, I think it's like a barrier. Good elves are elegant, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the like kind of building off what Tyler said, the biggest like good change in the way that this works the best is for those small differences between people of similar statures. But like whenever you get to the bigger statures or the bigger differences, like comparing a gnome to a Goliath. Goliath, thank you, the big guys. Um, comparing gnomes to Goliath, it gets to comparing oranges to apples instead of different types of apples. You're now comparing two different fruits, if that makes sense. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. All right, so are we going to yeah. go down through the chapters? So, yeah, so yeah. let's dig right in. Because, um, yeah, that was kind of chapter one. They, they talked about customizing your origin and changing your skill um, and then also changing your subclass. And so now into the actual character, new character options that they've added. Um, the first one is the Artificer. Okay. Yeah, so Artificer, I think this is its first official publishing of like the class in its entirety, right? I think so. Yeah, I think the Artificer was introduced in Eberron. Yeah, um, I thought it was. I thought it was fully published in Eberron with its with its previous archetypes. Was it, it was. fully this flushed is like, out? Was it? Then? This is like. Yeah. yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I guess, I guess it would be if it was published like, like, exactly a year ago. This this November. Gotcha. Um, but this is like the first time it's in kind of like you know, I, I, a non-campaign setting yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 it was. It was kind of like it was featured in Wild Not Almost. Kind of campaign, sure. uh, yeah. like 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 an adventure, like a uh, like a world setting book, not a yeah. uh, not not an actual like source book. Yeah, well, well Tush just tries point. to not be, yeah. like, tied to a location, which yeah. is great. It, it's like another, like, Xanthar's. Yeah, yeah I, so I, I think I think this is a little bit more acceptable by, like, putting it in the source book. It's kind of yeah. giving you, like, that implicit, like, yes, you could use this. Like, like you wouldn't ask your DM to ever, oh, can I be a fighter in your setting? Oh, can I be a barbarian in your setting? Yeah. Uh, I guess this is going to have that implicit, can I be an artificer in your setting? Yeah. Which, yeah. if you ask me, I, I feel like that might be a little bit more controversial among DMs. Like... Like I know in my games, I almost never use artificers as like a actual like playable class or anything. Uh, they're always like NPC type, you know, shopkeepers, stuff like that. Do, do, yeah. you, uh, do you do you do you tell your players that, or, or is it just because your players have not gravitated towards them enough for you to actually consider them? Uh, well, one of my players played one in a one shot, but it's never really come up in any of my campaigns, yeah. really. And uh, I, honestly, yeah. just part of my style, I don't I don't really like artificers like thematically, personally right okay. so that's probably why i never included them uh if a player wanted to be one i would absolutely allow them but i yeah. typically don't make them all that important in my world just because that's not the world that i like you know see thematically I, think... I really like artificers and wizards because both are ones that kind of experiment and kind of learn the stuff as they go and i think that's really yeah. cool to add into a character because it adds 
more depth and it adds more chances for roleplay, which is really nice. Yeah, because wizards for the longest time were the sole intelligence-based class. Every other class intelligence was like the dump stat, uh, unless you wanted some investigation boost without a proficiency. Um, so I think it's cool to add another character that is intelligence-based, so um, that actually gets a little more utilization there. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that uh, artificers get kind of a, I don't want to say a bad rap, but they get kind of shoved into this, oh, they're like a steampunk type setting, or at least that's how I've always interpreted them. Um, but like reading more about them, it's it's more like wrapped into the core magic of like the 5e, or 5e itself, uh, yeah. as opposed to like, they're not really steampunky, they're, all their stuff is from like mm -hmm. magical uh, research as a wizard would do. Yeah. Like, for example, um, the character I had Anthony print out recently was a artificer, uh, Tiefling, and he's going to be a primary, he's going to be one of my next characters, he's going to be a primary subtype, sub-arc of, uh, or archetype of, um, Alchemist. And it's not going to be like a, like, like, like a sitting in your basement with, like, a hundred flasks around Alchemist, it's more going to be like a, uh, like, like he got, he just kind of studied, like, arcane ways the same way a wizard would and stumbled upon alchemy as like a you know as like a useful device almost mm. i also think or i also think um artificers uh aren't really looked upon as like a uh as like a viable class because they were released in eberron and not in an actual like manual book they were released in a setting book mm. like setting source book and not a manual source book so it feels like some people think that they are bound to that setting and don't look yeah. at them as like like respected like classes in every setting like like for say like every class in the player handbook. I feel like a lot of people sure. also, in my experience at least, I know quite a few people look down on artificers because they don't see them as very viable characters in combat. Um, but I don't yeah. think that's the case because they are able to both augment themselves and their party members. It, I think they are would be vital in combat. But like I said, they also present something more, which is more chances for roleplay, more chances for stuff like that, which D&D isn't just about combat. You need that roleplay in there for it to thrive. I mean, roleplaying game, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and dude, like, if, if there's a little gnome dude that wants to make me an Eldritch Cannon, I'm not going to say no. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, for example, um, like, the Alchemist is actually an extremely, extremely useful class, and he might fall off late, um, in the sense of like powerful potions, but I mean, at level four, I can make like a two D, like a two D four, two D six health potion. Which Plus is five. Huge. My intelligence is twenty, so that's massive. That I mean, I mean, we're running around with twenty hit points, so I can potentially heal like thirteen, sixteen of it with with a potion that I can make every morning, or I could fill like flasks with with all of my spell slots. So I can walk around with like twenty potions at a time as long as I have enough flasks. Like you, can give, you, you can give creatures the, the ability to fly, the ability to transform their appearance, so you can literally just give people disguised self-potions. I, th I also think it's going to... I also think it's a lot harder to tie into backstories. Yeah. Um, or at least it was before Tasha's, because Tasha's unveiled the armor. So I think that, 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 that leads into weaponsmiths, blacksmith backstories. Yeah. There's a lot with the armor that is really, really, really powerful. I was just going to touch on the armor when you were done. Um... In my head, I'm imagining because they can make like this magic suit of armor, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And I'm imagining just like Iron Man, dude. Yeah, pretty much. The armor continues to be be arcane armor until you don another suit of armor or you die. That's yeah. It, at a certain level, apparently, it fuses to you and can't be removed unless you will it. And it's just <laughs> like it's literally Iron Man. So the question there is though, 
does it lose its magical ability if you take it off, or only if you put on a new suit of armor? Um, I think you have to be wearing it and attuned to it to. Oh, I'm, it. yeah. I'm assuming that if it if, if you have to will it to take it off, or is that just for later levels? I think that's later levels. It becomes like okay. fused to your skin, and gotcha. it can't be. It basically can't be removed unless you're like, yeah, you can take it off. And the other cool thing is that the you can change the armor's mod like at the third level armor feature. You can change the armor's model whenever you finish a short or a long rest, as long as you have smithing tools. And I think that's really cool because you can change. You basically can change your armor at will. It'd be really cool. I know we're gonna get into the sidekicks, but like right now, while we're on the Iron Man thing, what if you could like animate this armor and it could be like your sidekick? I think that'd be really badass. That would be really cool. I kind of want to talk about their spell list real quick. Okay. So they have a very diverse spell list uh, compared to like some other classes. Um, looking through, it's pretty similar to like the wizard spell list but they add in some of the uh, i guess like utility spells uh from some other classes uh notably stuff like thorn whip uh which i know is one of my favorite druid uh ones so it looks like artificers and druids uh are the only two classes that can get them naturally uh nature cl- nature clerics can get them you know as part of a subclass Ooh. so that's really interesting uh they're one of the only other classes that has that which is kind of weird if you ask me, honestly. Because uh, I definitely see Thorn Whip as like a nature-based spell. And Artificers, like my gut tells me that, hey, Artificers aren't very nature-based, you know? Uh, they're typically portrayed, you know, more like tinkerers, gnomes. You know, we kind of talked earlier, steampunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think, I, I think that's an interesting, you know, like diversion there. Uh, you know, perhaps the, the alchemist-type Artificers might take it. Because you know plants and herbs and stuff, right? I was about to bring that up, yeah. Yeah. So Quick tangent. Uh, don't don't be a nature cleric. There's so many cool domains. Like just be a druid if you want to be all nature. I know. Oh, just yeah. you have I, druid I love and, clerics. And you guys know I love clerics. Um, but like, nah, just nature cleric seems <laughs> weak to me. How how do you feel druid. if we're going on this tangent? How do you feel about paladins <laughs> who take the oath of the ancients, which is kind of like a druid paladin? Uh... I honestly don't know enough about it. Let me look. Okay. But yeah, overall, I really like the how they're adding the artifice. Not adding the artificer, but um, really rewriting it so that it can be used in any campaign. I, I'm going to be excited to see this used in campaigns moving forward, especially the uh, the character that you have created, Tyler. I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. Uh, with which character? Sorry. Uh, your alchemist one. Alchemist, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely creating a more for like a role play stance, which I think is a pretty good. I think that that's pretty justifiable. Yeah, and, and like characters that are more focused on role play than than combat, I think are also really important and will help add more to the campaign. Yeah, yeah um, and, and role playing really is like the hard part of D and D, if you will. Like anybody can learn the mechanics of the game and effectively engage in combat barring like maybe a spellcaster or a wizard that you have to learn a lot to be able to like play properly but other than that mechanics are pretty solid for combat so i think like you guys said the more focus into rp kind of makes things is the more enjoyable for yeah. everyone yep i agree with that all right yeah uh just taking a look at some of their others uh they also get guidance uh, oh. Which is kind of interesting because that's typically another one of those, you know, divine type spells. Yeah. 
clerics and druids were the only other ones who get it and it's it's typically portrayed as you know some sort of like like divine intervention type thing right like clerics it's you know like oh my god is helping you you know achieve whatever feat you're trying to achieve and druids are like you know the spirits of nature are coming to your aid but like what is an artificer doing with guidance like how are they potentially like magically imbuing you with some sort of capability well, I, i'm curious to what your guys interpretations might be uh, I don't know. That seems out of place to me. I, I didn't even know druids had guidance. Honestly, I thought it was a cleric thing. Wait, where where do um? It's under the cantrips for the. Um, oh, got it. Yeah. So yeah, um, that is interesting. Um, like even a bard, you could spin, would be better at guidance. It'd be similar to bardic inspiration, where yeah, they use their charisma to like inspire you or guide you. I don't know. It seems out of place for an artificer. Well, I mean, um, that I mean, but let let let's say bardic inspiration didn't exist, then we would be having the same conversation about like why it wouldn't fit with a bard, you know? Well, because, no, because like, like bards are pretty charisma based, though, so you can yeah. make the you can make the argument that that's how they guide you. I'm just curious what you what you guys think would be the artificer's way of guiding. I um, think maybe that they added guidance kind of in as a way for, um to kind of take the place of, like, say, Bardic Inspiration instead of adding a new spell for the Artificer class. But I can see definitely how if the Artificer is an intelligence-based class that maybe their guidance is in the form of um, something they know. But, like like you said, like, a thematically way, I don't really see how it fits in. Can wizards get guidance? They cannot. No, they cannot. Really? Nope. No. That makes even less sense. It's a Cleric, so... Druid, and Artificer spell. Yeah, so some of the subclasses that can get it, though, are the Divine Soul Sorcerer and Nature Clerics. Which, I mean, Nature Clerics, once again, they're just clerics, they, they get it automatically. But Divine Soul Sorcerers also have that, like, god-type, holy, you know, celestial-type, you know, thematic to them as well. So it's basically no different than a cleric. Which doesn't help the Artificer's case at all. The only so, other way I can see it sp spun is, like, so... The, the cleric and the druids are very religious-focused with their guidance, where then the artificer will be more of a man of science type of thing. Yeah, but so, it's still like a magic spell, though, right? It still yeah. has some sort of, like, supernatural property that aids you. Like, if, if it was a, like, a purely physical type of assistance, that would just be a help action, you know? Yeah, or, like, they give you a potion that gives you guidance and whatever. That would make yeah, more sense, yeah. whereas them casting a cantrip is a little different. Yeah, it's clearly magical. You know, something is happening that otherwise couldn't be done. You know, because like, what, what if? Uh, I mean, I mean, what if? I mean, I, I think it depends on how the player actually like, like embeds the this ability in their own cleric or in their own uh, artificer. Sure. Because, for example, like, like if I create an armor artificer, right? I might be, I might be one of the frontline people, so I might be more charismatic, like as like more of a leader type. Than a um, I'm not saying like spellcasters aren't leader types, but I'm more of a like uh, like like like, like the enemies over there are charge leader type, mm -hmm. you know. So I mean that 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 could be a good, um, like guidance uh, kind of spin where you could be more of just a charismatic leader in general, which can apply to pretty much any class. Yeah, here here's my thoughts on it. Right, uh, if you're we're, we're talking about that battle armor artificer, right? What if you know you have a a you know, your your fighter or whatever is trying to help lift a big rock off of you know maybe like a like an injured woman or something. She got hit by a falling rock, uh, and your your fighter's trying to lift that rock up, right? Mm -hmm. 
what if the artificer comes over and is like, here, here's some help, and he kind of like casts, you know, guidance on you. And as part of that, it almost kind of like, like, like mechanically enhances like your arms or your legs or something to give you yeah. just that little bit of, you know, extra capability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, like that armor isn't actually real. It's, you know, that's where the magic comes in. It's almost like a conjuration in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's kind of how I would see it. And that, you might be able to, to apply that to other skills. Yeah. So that works really easy for physical skills. But see, the mental skills kind of weird. Like, how, how do you help with, like, nature, you know? See, this does make it a really difficult thing, especially for from a DM span, standpoint, because usually it's the DM's job to narrate what's happening and how things happen and how things pan out. And sure. with this cantrip, it's now incredibly difficult for the DM to kind of narrate what's happening because, like we've been saying, it's very odd cantrip for an artificer um i uh, think that oh sorry Logan. um just real quick uh it's it's easy to like rag on the artificer like how how do they do it but a cleric literally like the description for guidance is you reach out touch somebody and imbue them with your god's power pretty much so it, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's like an unexplained spell where it, it works for clerics because you know it's oh religious. it's god yeah but like it you know, it's that's why I guess it's easy to kind of jump on the artificer, like how they can do it. But there's really no explanation as to how a cleric does it, other than oh, because it's God said yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I guarantee that that clerics were giving guidance before that was written into their class description, like like as like a uh, as kind of like a flavor where we're like 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 you like you reach out and touch a creature and input like and bestow them with the power from your god like i guarantee that was written after guidance was already given to the to the cleric which means that cleric was justified to have guidance before a flavor text was even written so yeah. like so like uh so like if that flavor text wasn't written then uh then we'd be having this discussion about clerics but like we would be having an easier discussion claiming that it's god power you know yeah but it's just like it's just like like no like like you just have to find uh equal justifications for stuff and um going off what anthony said about the uh about the dm narration i think it's partially on the players to narrate as well because i i wouldn't want to describe what my player is doing without them having say in it absolutely i'd be like i'd be pretty much controlling the character for them so uh so like it's not always the uh the dm's responsibility to narrate what's going on because they don't always know what's going on especially with player action so I think it's up to the players. Like if I was an artificer, for example, like with what Brad said, like helping lift the giant rock, like I rock up to the, like I walk up to the, um, to the fighter and touch them on their back and a, uh, and a, uh, like a mechanical kind of conjuration appears around their joints on their arms and legs and assists them in lifting, you know, or attempts to assist them lifting. And then the DM can take that and then describe it deeper. Yeah. It's like a pop-up, uh, prosthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So like, yeah, like, 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 I don't think the DM would have come up with that on his own, um, no, because speak. yeah, because that that's completely unrealistic. Because if the player doesn't like it, then that that's not fair to the DM for being trapped into that, and it's not fair for the player because they don't say in what their characters actually do. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's another small thing that players can do to kind of add breath. Whereas, it's like a two way street between players and DMs. DMs can only do so much. Like, if you're casting a spell and it requires some somatic component. You can definitely act that out, get in the habit of acting that out, and that just kind of 
mm-hmm. opposite gauge when across the board. Yeah, and like yeah. I tried, um, and like, sorry, um, I tried doing that before, like describing what characters do and stuff like that. Especially whenever um, I remember the one one shot we did, someone cast fireball, and so I went through the process of explaining that their character took out the mechanics for it and then cast it and um just trying to add a little bit more flavor that we don't normally have but um tyler you brought up a really good point that i think the initial like casting of something that like that where the player describes it um and kind of gives it breath of their own life and then from that point on the dm can kind of take the reins and describe it going moving forward or talk with their player outside of the session figure out kind of what some of the flavors that they want for their character and then make sure that the um then the dm will make sure that he then includes those flavors whenever describing events around that character for example my character for um larry's campaign um he's a tiefling but all of his fiery attributes have been switched to ice so um and that's pretty much just for flavor so moving forward anything that really has to do with him any ice kind of flavored thematics kind of will fit well with him and so having that kind of um communication between dm and player i think is really important especially when it comes to characters and role playing and whatnot sure yeah and and that i i don't think that um we we talked about this a bit earlier uh so we might as well talk about it again uh with the role playing inside and outside of combat um like whenever uh, I know it happens in our sessions. Whenever we get into combat, we kind of flip a switch and look at our character sheet as efficiency and not as yeah. role player. Like yeah, where we just look at our characters as machines that execute uh, like uh, commands that we give it, and not as uh, and not as the character themselves, like as like with their own mind and like you know with their own set of like uh, priorities. So um. Uh, I think this would help a lot in giving our characters uh, actual like life during combat as well. Like it doesn't mean you have to describe the same thing repeatedly every time you cast a cantrip, but um, but it definitely is just a good thing to keep in mind that you can save for like like as your character's casting it, you can give like a quick five second description of what your character's doing as it's casting. Yeah, and you don't even have to do that every single time. Just, it doesn't of... have to be like, it doesn't have to be like a third, like maybe the first time it can be a really elaborate just to give everybody like a good like idea of what's going on. And then once everybody knows what you're describing, then after that you can just hit it and then everybody will think back to the first time you described it. Yeah. Or even like, and once you've like done, gone through the process enough, you can even stop describing the process because by then it should be in your fellow players' minds. And then just every once in a while, you just bring it back up real quick, like describing your action, just to kind of refresh the narrative. Yeah, like I don't know about <laughs> some characters are pretty uh, cut and dry. Like maybe your stereotypical ranger, it's like you don't want to be like, oh, I knock my arrow, draw and fire like every time. You don't need to do that. But like Grimgore, for example, has a lot of thematic spice that I can include in what he does. Um, I I. I used to do that quite a bit but uh recently i kind of for, forget to do it um i think another reason that we forget to do this stuff is because especially when we have like what seven or so player characters against this mob of we'll say 10 enemies like we're not trying to like we kind of want to get our turn out there and move on to the next player so we can do it in like a orderly fashion yeah um so we kind of forget that whole thematic thing but yet like you guys said even like a f- couple seconds each action you take uh, or yeah. each spell you cast you kind of just give a quick 
mm-hmm. description. Just so breathe some life into the characters. Yeah, it's really like a small time investment, uh, and it adds like engagement. Some really good advice I actually got from someone at one point um, whenever it comes to characters is sometimes basing your characters off of an aspect of yourself. This way it's easier for you to kind of step into their shoes, especially when you're first getting into Um, D&D. I personally haven't really been doing that much, but I should, so I might have to rework um, some of my characters to do that. But I do find myself as a DM also, though, bringing those kind of personalities into the characters as well. So that's also interesting in a way. Yeah, my, my first character was basically an exact copy of myself. Me, if I was in like a D&D world, you know? Like, I was a fighter, I was bored. No, I was, I was a fighter. Uh, a battle master. Just because fighters are probably like the most realistic D&D class. You know, wizards don't exist. Warlocks don't exist. Fighters, though. Fighters are very real, you know? <laughs> And barbarians, so, a little bit. Barbarians, just people with angerish management. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, like even like the capabilities of a fighter yeah. are very grounded in reality as compared to like a barbarian. Even saying magic uh, isn't real. What it just, any, anything? Yeah, yes, I'm saying magic yeah. isn't real. That's what Santa's not real either. Get over back. Yeah. I'm leaving. Any class that isn't a caster, I mean, is pretty grounded. Like rogues, you know, people are pretty. Yeah, you know, some people are sneaking. Well, and shit. yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, actually, stealth in five E is busted. So stealth busted. in five E. That's is a whole tangent we don't want to get into right now. But like, issue. rogues in in the stealth side of things are not realistic at all. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's I not. Think, it's not the player's fault. It's just mechanics. I think it is the player's fault. In ter- okay, I, I don't think I don't think it's the I don't think it's the player's fault that the that the um rogue was designed that way. But I definitely think it's the player's fault for uh kind of um. I think it's both the players and the DM's fault for not setting ground rules on how exploitation works. Yeah, and, and like, sure. well, like, I like, more DM honestly. Like if, if, if the players DM. trying to hide in like an open field, just be like, "Where are you hiding?" Like, no. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we can go a bit more into rogues once we get to that class and talk about yeah. how broken yeah. self is. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, let's continue going on through the classes. Uh, yes, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, uh, so after Artificer, uh, we have the Barbarian. Yes. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do is talk about one of the new, you know, subclasses. Uh, let me find it real quick. Uh, Path of Wild Magic. No, it was the Beast, right? Oh, oh, that's right. Prim- primal Path of the Beast, right? And if you ask me, this is basically just like a druid light, right? So instead of getting like wild shape, it instead just kind of like turns you into an animal without actually wild shape you know it gives you claws it gives you fangs swim speed fly speed that type of stuff right and i actually kind of like it you know it's like a hybrid form um it's kind of like the one the one spell which like alter alter self this is this is tasha's um yeah it it basically just kind of like turns you into a like animal essentially and i really like it you know uh i really like the barbarian subclasses that kind of focus less away of the oh I'm an angry punchy man and kind of focuses a little bit more on like the spiritualistic the animalistic totemic side you know Celts man yeah I think it's I think it's a lot more engaging um, so I just want to say that that's that's probably my favorite subclass of uh, barbarian right now I, I I did read through the barbarian the or the path of the beast and I did really yeah. like it because I I haven't really played a barbarian yet um, and I find it interesting. 
um, the whole Path of the Beast. So, what are the other kind of, since I'm not really familiar with barbarians all that much, what are some of the other big paths, I guess, for barbarians? Just yeah, to so uh, these uh, to what's it? Totem Warrior is one of the big ones. Yeah. Uh, people end up taking like the bear totem, and that gives them like resistance to like fucking everything. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's one of the most popular base classes. Um, it's probably because it's really strong, right? Yeah. Okay. And so they call it Totem Warrior, but like nobody actually plays it like a Totem Warrior. People play it as like a fucking I'm just an angry guy who doesn't take any damage from anything, right? So oh, I think yeah. a lot of people screw that one up. They definitely should focus more on the role playing aspect. Role playing, like like totem bear, strong, or even choose some of the other fucking animals. You know, everybody always chooses bear. Why does nobody ever pick eagle? That's them basically fly. Because barbarian, big and strong. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody who wants to play a barbarian just wants to be a big guy who beats shit up. And I, I think I there's it. so much more depth. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, if, if yeah, it's, it's there, fine. Yeah, like like you you have the right to play whatever you want to play. Yeah, but that's all yeah. I ever see. Yeah, I agree. Barbarian equal barbarians, big, and that's all people think about. Probably because no. barbarians are encouraged to be in, like, the grid of the melee, right? Yeah. Like, so, like, if you're in the grid of the melee, yeah. what, what animal would you be? I'd pick a bear, bear, wolf, or eagle. I'd pick a bear. Be a wolf, dude. Pack tactics. But Holy shit, it's so good. Yeah, I guess. Do you get pack tactics, like, mechanically? Uh, essentially, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the wolf uh, totem spirit is, um, while you're raging, your friends have advantage on melee attack rolls against any creature within five feet. That is hostile. Oh, <laughs> Holy fuck. That's pretty much yeah. um, having what's it called? And then you um at sixth level you get uh, you gain the hunting sensibility of a wolf. You can track other creatures while traveling at a fast pace, and you can move stealthily while traveling at a normal pace. Yeah, barbarians yeah, can move stealthily. That, that one's not very good. I, uh, I think but it's kind of cool. Wait, I I just don't think that's very good because DMs don't focus on. Yep. I, I think that's a I think that's that's just like a that's like a DM that's like a, that's like a, some DMs don't focus on travel like encounters yeah so like that that's why it doesn't seem cool but like if you have a dm that heavily focuses on travel encounters that seems really good that also <laughs> seems interesting for the multi-class i talked brought up before of um the barbarian rogue combo where because because right. um rogues they get sneak attack damage as long as they have advantage on a strike and with barbarians, you can do reckless attack to always have advantage. With, yeah. So you literally, if you hit, you will get sneak attack damage on pretty much every single one of your attacks, and that's insane. Mm -hmm. And um, I think mixing that in with the pact of the wolf, like you said, having some of those stealth aspects would make it really interesting. Well, to that is um, the issue with that is uh, well the, the wolf actually only allows your friends to have advantage but i mean you get it any while you're raging yeah yeah so i mean i don't even know why it uh isn't yeah. there more nuance to sneak attack do you have to be like technically stealth hidden or is it literally <sighs> just advantage uh, i think, I it's, think just it's basically literally... just always advantage i think that's really advantage not even flanking just it, plain advantage it's plain it, advantage anytime you have advantage you can roll sneak attack yeah, that's broken. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you start well, getting into, like, well, crit well, mining yeah. territory. R, R, Larry. R. <laughs> R. We'll get what? there. <laughs> we'll get there. R. Okay. R. Sneak attack's, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Sneak attack's a little bit misleading. But, yeah, we'll yes. talk about that more with Rose. Yeah, um, <laughs> the other one about the Barbarian that I wanted to talk words, about dude. was... Um, sorry. Some of their uh, optional class features. So one of the ones I found was kind of interesting was the instinctive pounce, 
where as a part of your bonus action, when you enter your rage, you can move up to half your speed. So you can utilize that to make distance and attack all within the same sequence of events, I guess. Um, yeah. I just think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so the Primal Paths, uh, the Path of the Wild Magic, this one, um, is interesting. Uh, I believe they made some major changes to the Wild Magic table since they initially put it out in Unearth Arcana. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Larry, but, um, because they added some interesting effects, such as... The you teleport up to thirty feet to an unoccupied space you can see until your rage ends. You can use this effect again on each of your turns as a bonus action. That that's insane. That is insane. It's ridiculous. That is it's fucking insane. Oh, so broken. And that did that make it past Unearthed Arcana? Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. That was one of the ones that I made Chase drop because it's like that's broken, dude. That is so broken. It's basically like Misty Step. It is just every turn. Yeah. Like 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 you 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 can only just teleport away and then teleport back in to fight an enemy. Like and you, you you can pretty much avoid an opportunity attack every two turns. Yeah, yeah. My one rogue in the campaign had a cloak that gave him misty step as a bonus action every turn. But like, if you can do it without a bonus action, that makes it even worse. No, no, no. This one is a bonus action. It is a bonus. Oh, action. it is a bonus action. Yeah. Still, it's it's super busted. Like I I've seen it it's firsthand. Very strong. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that being official. Um, but you know, isn't it random? Yeah, it's, it's not a, always. It's a, it's a one d eight chance. That, okay, that's a little bit balanced, I guess. Oh. oh. Okay. Yeah. So it's not every time. It's a random chance. Now, if that was every you get single to choose, time... Do you get to choose where you teleport to? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's not... I mean, it's good. It's not super broken, I guess, if it's made a chance, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, it, uh, this does seem like a very... I won't say overpowered, but definitely one of the better classes for barbarians if you are going for um some broken things um see i i but, don't even think i don't love barbarians and i i think they're kind of the, towards the bottom of the power curve yeah um and I, same with this i think it's thematically really cool like you have this wild magic that's constantly coursing through you and just mad as shit and things are just flying off left and right but the whole chance thing kind of makes it uncontrollable so it could be broken well, that's but it could also be like you know, just what it, it's just random, you know. Random that's the whole concept happens. of wild magic, though. Yeah, no, it, it's a cool concept. I love the concept. I'm just saying, I don't think it's really mechanically as broken as we originally thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, one of the interesting interesting things of this is the sixth level uh, path of the wild magic feature for bolstering magic. Um, it's interesting because it specifies that you need to roll a D3 for both of those. Um, and that's... Oh, yes. <laughs> Let me... Wait. Yeah. I'm trying to picture that. I'm just going to pull it's up my a... D3 real quick. Oh, it's, a, it's a D6 divided by 2. Yeah. Oh. I guess that does work. Yeah, yeah. that's oh. it's like, <laughs> I thought like... you were joking. What? No. Wait. No, 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 I thought Anthony. Or... No, I thought Anthony. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I was totally confused. It's just one, two, three, four, five, six. Shapes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that's interesting, especially what it gives you. So, for the one, it's basically giving you, um, not advantage, um, 
minor inspiration. You get a D3 when making an attack roll or ability check. Mm-hmm. And then for the other one, um, it's expending spell slots. So I think both of those are really weird things for the Barbarian class to have. And I think that's good because it helps augment a class. Like you guys said, um, for the most part, people play them as big man strong, big man smash. With this new class is adding, not with this new subclass is adding some more thematics and utility to the class that wasn't there before. Yeah, and I just don't, again, don't love Barbarians. I think you can definitely get more damage output from a fighter or a ranger or a rogue. You can get more damage output from, like, a war cleric. Like, but, but like, like, why are you going can... for... I, I don't think damage output is the, or output is the point, though. Yeah. For, bar- for Barbarians? I, I mean, but, like, I'm not going to pick a Barbarian because I want to do a lot of damage. I'd rather pick a Barbarian because I want to actually play a Barbarian. Because of thematics. Like, 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 thematically. Like... Yeah, a th- thematics. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, for example, Later, be yeah. a better tank and a better damage dealer. Yeah. Like, mechanically speaking, I guess, for like people who want to min max, they don't care much. Oh, yeah, min maxing. Yeah, there, there, there's better classes to pick. Yeah, yeah. like, the, mechanically not very strong. I don't think. Yeah. But, like, that's why we don't play min max. So, I kind of um, want to talk about the thematics of a wild magic character in like a campaign setting as compared to maybe a one shot, right? Yeah. So I played I played a wild magic sorcerer throughout the course of a entire campaign. And I'm gonna be honest, I just don't think they're that good. Because they're very unreliable. Um they kinda lose their like goofy appeal pretty quickly. Um mm-hmm. and I, I just don't think they're very fun in a <clears throat> campaign setting. They they're yeah. fun for a couple sessions, but long term I, I think they kinda suffer. I think if yeah. you could somehow pull off the Tom Holland Spider Man kind of visage you could do it but other than that yeah they lose I, their kind of goofiness quickly i I, th- I think it might be different with a with a wild uh with a wild magic barbarian though because like because like what if what if you were um like what what if you have like what if you're cursed you know what i mean or like like what, what if you're like cursed or or what if a um what if like a divine like uh like power or entity like bestowed this onto you on unno- like without your consent or knowledge now you spend the campaign trying to figure out how to reverse it or fight it or control it you know yeah i, I feel like a think, lot of the yeah. the character development there is kind of limited sometimes like there's only like so much you can really do with it in my eyes like compared to some of the other classes right i agree yeah um yeah so like uh yeah because like most of the time most of the time, it's either, like, with the wild magic, you either did it to yourself or something bigger than you did it to you. Like, yeah, that, that, yeah which is literally the, it's probably, like, that, that right there is probably the two path. Oh, or, or it's, like, totally random chance, but, like, yeah. it's kind of hard to work with, you know? Yeah. Which is probably where something bigger did it to you. Exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I would consider like maybe your maybe one of your parents is a spellcaster. Maybe you can maybe you can weed that into like you you got hit with the short end of the stick on uh, on some genetic issues there then something bigger did it to you as in your parents uh kind of like gave it to you as like ac- like on accident sure almost. yeah but um, i feel like that, that's really hard to work into yeah. like a lot of other different like backstories and stuff i agree so. yeah so like 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 especially with being wild magic that you can't control which one of them happens then you um like if you can't control which one of them happens and it's kind of like a surprise to everybody that that would make most sense whenever like if you're trying to find like maybe a witch that cursed you mm-hmm. or a uh or a uh ma- yeah like may- maybe maybe your barbarian was a sailor and um and a mysterious fog uh 
maybe you got called to like the front of the ship by a voice and the voice like you know first like, you, or something, like you or something you know like like boom you have something to look for in the campaign to like try and reverse it um but like at that point like that, that is pretty much the extent of it it's pretty yeah. much changing the being setting and place to go find it to reverse it i mean yeah, it's, it's, it's a little contrived yeah yeah all right uh, anything else to talk about with barbarian otherwise we could uh, head on down to bard i'm good if- oh I'm um, done ragging on barbarians. Hold on, one more. We were talking about path. Let me open my book. We were talking about path of the, uh, um, path of the Pentam warrior. I'm looking uh, at. I'm looking at the outline. It says moon druid light. Did we touch on that? Yes, that was the. Path oh, of the that's the wild yeah. shape guy. Okay. Um, what was I gonna say? At uh, oh, at in, in level fourteen with a totem warrior, the wolf, for example, gives you an insane ability. That I think is really powerful. I mean, it's level 14, so I mean, you're hitting the end of your, uh, you know. But uh, while you're raging, you can use a bonus action and turn to narc to knock a large or Nark. smaller creature prone when you hit it with a melee weapon attack. Which I think is really, really powerful. Yeah, it's <laughs> then, if, if you take like if you take like two or three attacks, uh, like a turn, boom, you have you have two or three chances to knock something prone yeah, with your bonus action. Um, and it uh. And that that that's also technically triggered as long as you saved your um, or no, technically it's not a reaction, which is really like that that right there is really good. We can move on now. I was just I just didn't mention the last bit that you get from being a wolf. Yeah, bard. Um, uh, anybody have anything to talk about on bard? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, specifically College of Eloquence. Mm-hmm. If you didn't think bards were busted before. They are busted now. At least Eloquence is. Um, I was doing the math, and basically, these guys' whole thing is uh, like maxing persuasion, right? Like, mm-hmm. normally, everyone knows bards are the figurehead of the party normally, but this is just outright insane. At level three, you get an ability called Silver Tongue, which basically, if you make a charisma check that's either persuasion or deception, you can treat the roll if it's lower than nine. You can treat it as a ten. Oh, so it's pretty and... much um, the <clears throat> rogue um, reliable talent. Reliable talent. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it, it, it is only for persuasion or deception, though. Yes. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's pretty much all you do as a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hold on. Uh, at level three, your proficiency bonus is still what two? Yeah. Uh, so you get your ten minimum, insane plus. Five, assuming you have maxed charisma, which probably isn't going to be true unless you rolled well, but just for the sake of argument. That's 15, plus double proficiency, because we'll say you take expertise and persuasion. You're looking at the the worst you can roll is a 19 at level 3. Yeah, and that, that's, just, that's even... There is no counter to that unless you somehow argue we're going to buff... Oh, all the PC, NPCs have insight now. Yeah, seventeen. Well, yeah. double proficiency from expertise, right? Would be four. Oh yeah, yeah. And see, that's so. even if you roll not uh, not one, you still get you the bonus. Yeah. Anything lower than a nine is a ten. It's it, insane. I don't, I don't think that's yeah, that's broken. Um, but yeah, bards. Bards are just I broken. That's, bards that's and hard to beat. Like if you're not looking for skill monkey. Skip lore, go eloquence, and you can literally topple kingdoms with your your voice. 
yeah it's wild like, but uh that's i didn't look into the other new one was creation i didn't look into that too much but eloquence kind of stole the show for me yeah that that is really you're, yeah you're you're pretty much guaranteed to roll 19s in both of those just from level three up because you can use an infant number level of times. three maybe like i could see maybe that being a level eight level nine thing yeah. level three level three you pretty much roll a 19 on every persuasion That's check crazy and you know there most npcs don't have particularly high no. <laughs> insight you know so yeah that i think that needs balancing i, I think you should only be able to use it um yeah, maybe uh, add a cap to it like add like a like a level like a level number cap like or, you don't or, use it or like, like the number of prof like your proficiency bonus or the number of your level or like or you have to use bardic inspiration you have to expend bardic inspiration or something yeah, that, yeah. That, that's true that'd be good easy to balance i just think it needs to be balanced, balanced yeah well bardic inspiration would be um that, that'd be pretty useless uh like using that as a balancing factor because you, you can do bardic inspiration Pretty much infinite number of times, can't you? Oh, I thought it was like no. a. No, 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 no,
But yeah, like a you're... wandering pack of gnolls, gnolls or, or goblins, like, oh, spell magic that yeah. hut over there. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, greater invisibility at seventh level, and then circle of power and mislead. So I think that it the the twilight domain is really interesting because it starts to become an interesting conglomeration. I don't know if I said that word right or if it's even a word, but um, of different classes, like you get some of that like roguey shit in there with a greater invisibility and mislead and shit like that and then you get some of those wizard spells and druid spells and i think overall it's just very interesting um and i really like it thematically how it adds a new level to the clerics especially like i said for because it has kind of a darker thematic theme to it um which i think is the first cleric domain to do that other than the death clerics Grave cleric. Grave cleric. Sorry, that's what I meant. I think they both, right? They both do. I think. They're, yeah, they're I, think they, I think they both exist. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a couple. Dude, clerics just have so many, so many orders. Like, yeah. It's they're basically just <laughs> their own crazy. class. It's pretty crazy. That's why, like, I, I, there's like endless replayability with clerics, in my opinion. Yep. Um. If you were done with Twilight, I actually want to go back to order real quick. Go right ahead. So they're like I said, their spells aren't really slow. Is really good. I miss slow. That's another good one. But their abilities, now that I'm rereading them, are actually really good. Uh, first of all, they get proficiency in heavy armor, which is always good to have. Uh, intimidation or persuasion, uh, your choice. So those are both good to have, like right off the bat. Um, it would be cool if they got martial weapons. But I guess they're kind of doing just heavy armor, so they don't take away from, like, War Domain, maybe. Um, but even Tempest Domain, I think it's martial weapons. So I think Order should get them, too, but what do I know? <laughs> but Voice of Authority, their first level ability, uh, basically, you can target an ally, and they can use a reaction immediately to make a weapon attack against a creature um so that's like kind of a really good support thing that they have um their channel divinity is also really cool uh you can basically as an action charm a creature given they save their or they fail their wisdom save um so i guess that's just a free use of charm person uh it's just it burns through one of your divinity slots that's another kind of useful thing. Because clerics are infamous for having kind of lackluster channel divinities. The only one I can think of that is really good is... There's two. Tempest is good. Um, you can like pretty much do max damage on thunder spells. And then war is good. You can add like 10 to a, an attack roll after you roll. So say you roll really bad. You say, oh, I'm going to use my channel divinity to add 10 to the roll. Uh, that comes in handy. But this one is... Probably one of the better ones, I think. Because free charm is always good. Their 6 level ability looks like if you cast an enchantment spell, you can change the casting time to a bonus action instead of an action. So that's useful. I don't know if it's anything crazy, but nice to have. Divine Strike extra damage war cleric has that nothing crazy but yeah i think abilities are pretty solid across the board i'd put this one on par with like a war cleric 
with probably arguably better late level spells than a war clerk. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the Dudes and Drinks podcast, where we talked about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, we talked about the first half of all the classes in this episode, and next episode we'll finish off the classes. Thanks for listening.